In the process of putting this podcast together, we amassed an incredible amount of information, some of which didn't make the cut for our main episodes, but that we thought you might find interesting. We're calling these bonus segments Overtime. Here's the first one, with Sean Patrick Griffin breaking down the betting markets and what they reveal about the scandal. One interesting aspect is, whereas the Vegas sports books are regulated and anything Generally speaking, they don't take big bets. They're not going to take a half a million dollar bet or something like that. But the offshore sports books are taking that big money. One of the sports books was actually in on the scandal. And they would actually get word from Batista on what the side of that Donaghy game was, park a number to get the rest of the market to chase that number. But no one realized that that sports book was actually not taking bets that day. They wanted that number to be influenced around the world so that that sports book owner could then bet everywhere else. And because it's an unregulated market, there was nothing anybody could do or say. It's just genius. So the numbers of people making big money on this, we're never going to know. And the only thing that would stop it was the market can only take so much money. You know, at some point you have to have somebody betting on the other side of these propositions. There's a great quote in Game in the Game where Batista would say there were some nights where the pick was so obvious, and if one of his other major handicappers, these other professional gamblers, if that person had already picked that side of the Donaghy game, and then Donaghy called him with his pick, and it was the same, the quote in the book is, there wasn't enough money in the world for what we were going to do that night. Donaghy argues that instead of fixing games, his success was based on inside information, either garnered from other uh, referees before a game. One of his famous claims is that he used to bet his own games from the bowels of the arena just before a game on information he would pick up from other referees or from people in in the arena. There are many problems with these lines of argument. Much of the stuff that he calls inside information, gamblers are well aware of. But beyond that, the the notion that he was placing his bets right before games, well, I got access to the betting records. And that's not how they were being done, right? Batista, when he cut that deal with him in 06 uh, in December, he wanted those picks as early as possible because Batista in the pro gambling world does what are called head fakes. If you've ever played or watched basketball, a head fake is when a player acts like they're gonna shoot the ball, causing the defender to jump which allows the player with the ball to have a clear lane to the basket. Batista was doing the same thing, just within gambling. His goal is to put a small amount of money, maybe $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 on the one side of a proposition overseas, starting in Asia, which is 12 or 13 hours ahead. Let that money filter through. All the betting lines change, especially then through Europe. By the time you wake up on the East Coast, the lines are moved. Let's say the Lakers are playing the Celtics and Batista bets $200,000 on the Lakers. A $200,000 bet on the Lakers with nothing on the Celtics leaves the sportsbook vulnerable. Remember, a sportsbook's goal is to get even money on both sides. So to encourage more bets on the Celtics, the sportsbook would likely make the Lakers a five-point favorite instead of a four-point favorite. And now Batista's going to bet on the correct side of the proposition, and he's going to put $2 million down on it. If Batista's utilizing a head fake, his pick, Donahue's pick, isn't the Lakers. It's the Celtics. By betting on the Lakers early, Batista caused the betting markets to react. Now, he's got a clear lane to the basket, a more favorable bet, and it's likely he's about to see his bank account increase by a couple zeros. Well, that isn't happening <laughs> if Donaghy's calling in the information from right before the arena. I mean, it's just a, it's a very shrewd way of manipulating the public into thinking, oh, well, maybe inside information could have accounted for his success.
Thanks for listening to Overtime. Make sure to check out episode five of Whistleblower coming this Thursday. Here's a clip. I have no idea whether or not there were communications from the NBA to the U.S. Attorney's Office. I raised that issue at sentencing, whether or not there were any communications. But in my view, the last thing that the NBA would have wanted is Tim on the stand talking about everything he had proffered on. That cooperation included how, in Tim's judgment and from Tim's viewpoint, the league was favoring certain players, was favoring certain marquee franchises, that in certain instances, refs were carrying out their official duties in order to achieve a result, favoring one team over another or one player over another. He laid it all out. And in my judgment, Batista's lawyer made a very wise decision by going to the press and saying, we're going to keep Tim on the stand for days, and we're going to ask him all of these questions. Well, I could just imagine the discussions that were taking place in the NBA when they heard that, because Tim's credible cooperation would have been a full public airing of all the information that he had provided over the last year to the FBI and to the U.S. Attorney's Office.